0: This is Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory because it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God, and him only shall you serve. And Satan took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. Um, Like Paul said, my name is Dodds, and I'm also one of the pastors here. It's wonderful to be with you on the Lord's Day. We are continuing our study in Luke this morning, and it has brought us to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. In our text today, Satan is seeking to divert Jesus from his mission in three particular ways. Three ways in which the people of God, Israel, were also Tempted and diverted. And where they failed, we are going to see Jesus succeed in resisting evil and claiming victory over Satan. For for all of us, for all of us, it's not if we will be tempted in these ways. It it really is when and how. As disciples of Christ walking in Christ's cruciform way, obeying his word holding an allegiance to him as our king. We face the same temptations from the same enemy, and we too are called to place our life in the hands of our creator, to trust our God no matter what, the, what wilderness we face, and to worship him alone and no other. So let's go to our text again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So every week, we, we pray the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. That our Father will not lead us into temptation, that he will deliver us from evil. If you, if you remember in the book of James, he writes this letter to the church. He, he tells the church that when temptation comes, that we shouldn't say it's God who's tempting us because he doesn't tempt anyone. The very nature of God is that he is wholly, wholly good and that he, he's incapable of tempting us. And that's what makes Luke's words in chapter 4 here Intriguing. Jesus has just been baptized and Luke writes that he is not only full of the Holy Spirit, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days specifically to meet the devil who will tempt him. So it's not that the spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness for just this some other reason. And the devil just happens to be there. The spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness so that he will face the temptations of the devil. Why? Jesus is going into the wilderness following his baptism in order to continue reliving Israel's history, but doing it the right way. This is what we've been looking for since Jesus arrived as the promised Messiah. Jesus as the true son of God, the true Israel, repeating all of Israel's history, but succeeding at every point where Israel failed. That's why he's being led into the wilderness. Think about about this. Jesus was born in an Israel ruled by a Pharaoh like Herod, who was also killing children. He's called out of this Egypt. He crosses through the baptismal waters of the Jordan, and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And all of this, just like Israel, was led out of Egypt through the Red Sea by the Spirit. And just like Israel was tempted for 40 years, Jesus is tempted for 40 days and nights. But, but we, are, we are left with some questions. Does God tempt or not? Does he lead us into temptation or not? Does, does he put his children in harm's way? On the one hand, we, we, we need to acknowledge this, that God doesn't tempt as the devil tempts because the devil's intention is to tempt us in such a way that we will turn away from God, that we will rebel against God. He wants us to sin. He wants us to break trust and covenant with the one who keeps Covenant with us. But our God isn't like that. He doesn't tempt us because He doesn't want us to do evil. He may send us to the wilderness where the devil is waiting for us, but He does not put the devil in our path so that we will fall. He puts him there so that we too will be tested that we too will be humbled, that our hearts will be revealed to see if we truly trust the Lord, if we will truly keep his word in in the most difficult of situations. In other words, God doesn't tempt us, he tests us. And he tests us, I would say that he tests us very often in our work, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our singleness, in our money, in our most difficult relationships, in our pain, in our sickness, and in our health, in our greatest failures and our greatest successes. He tests us when we have to wait longer than we want to, longer than we ever thought we would. When we're so hurt that we wonder if he can be trusted to take care of us. But this is what he's doing with Jesus because this is what he's doing with Israel, and that's exactly what he's doing with us, testing. It's how he works with all of his children. He gives us his spirit. He encourages us to follow him, and then the spirit leads us at times into a dark valley or a wasteland of troubles, but all of these tests are for our good. It's how we are brought to maturity just like our king. By placing us in the middle of dangers, in the middle of accusers, in the middle of devils. Sojourn, we don't don't grow in comfortable places. We grow in difficult places. It's in these very places that he means to strengthen us for battle against the forces of darkness so that we grow in faith and hope and love. And he tests us in different ways and even greater intensities so that we are more and more ready for even greater battles. Let's keep reading. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, before we get into the pieces of this, because there is a lot to look at, but I don't want to exhaust it. Before we get into this, there there really are two things that I want us to see at large. Number one, we should appreciate that there is a progression to the temptations. First, Jesus is faced with a temptation concerning food and physical hunger. Then a temptation concerning idolatry and taking authority over the kingdoms of the world. And finally, a temptation concerning testing God instead of humbly obeying him. Number two, there is a geographic movement in the temptations. We can see that Jesus moves from the wilderness to a high place, presumably a mountain, and then to the temple. Now, all of this seems to capture Israel's history pretty well. Israel moved from the wilderness where they grumbled about the lack of bread. And then they moved to a high Mount Sinai where they worshiped the golden calf. And then they moved to the promised land where they built the temple only to begin disobeying God and testing him. So there is a correlation, a distinct correlation, between what Jesus is doing and what Israel has failed to do. What humanity has failed to do. See, Jesus is facing all of the temptations of Israel in the same places that Israel faced them. And each of the responses that Jesus gives to Satan's temptations are actually quotes from Deuteronomy, which Moses himself spoke to Israel during their wilderness wanderings. It's astounding. It's astounding. Let's go back and take a look at the first temptation. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now in this context, following the genealogy in chapter 3, Jesus, the son, is going into the wilderness as the last Adam. Adam. And so this this temptation with food, it it should have us also remembering Adam in the garden and the food temptation that he faced with Satan. What we should see here is that Jesus truly is coming to undo all the failures of all of God's children. Now the first temptation involves turning a stone into bread which doesn't seem terribly significant. But the temptation Satan is offering to Jesus is not just one of of bread. It's to abandon his mission. It's to forego his testing for the greater comfort that could be found in pursuing the food that the devil offers. Israel was tempted to believe that God brought them out to the wilderness to let them die of hunger. And they waxed nostalgic about how great the food was in Egypt and how it would be better if they were back there. And Moses' response in Deuteronomy was telling Israel that that actually Yahweh had caused them to hunger in the wilderness for 40 years to test them, to see what was in their hearts, to see what they truly wanted and, and whom they would trust. Jesus' response, man shall not live by bread alone, says that what Israel was supposed to learn is that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so the entire point of Israel's time in the wilderness was for them to learn to rely on the Lord and to wait on the Lord to provide for all of their needs, trusting that whatever he gave them, he would do good to them. Now Israel failed that test Even when they did get bread and water and quail, they just continued to grumble against the Lord and say, is is God really with us? Is he really here? But where Israel fails, Jesus doesn't. Jesus's food is to fulfill the mission of the one who sent him, and rather than taking bread in the land of slavery, he draws nourishment from God's words without grumbling and uses them to rebuke his enemy. He shows himself to be the greater Elijah who fasted for 40 days and then destroyed the altar and prophets of a false god. He keeps the fast that Adam broke. Now since Jesus is determined not to accommodate himself to Satan's kingdom, Satan presents him with a second temptation. And it's here that we move from the wilderness to the mountain. If Jesus is willing, and this is really important, if Jesus is willing to lay his allegiance to the Father aside and worship the devil, Satan promises that he can receive all the authority and glory of the kingdoms of the world. Now maybe we could pass that up, but let's think about what that means. What, what would that look like and what would that mean? It means that Jesus would be prepared to adopt all of the violent and vain ways of our earthly kingdoms and that he would wield worldwide authority with a sword in order to serve the devil and all of his countrymen. Imagine how horrific that would be. This mirrors the story of when Israel forged a golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai as they were waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. After forging the calf, they worshiped it as the God that brought them out of Egypt. Along with lusting for bread, they added the sin of idolatry, and when they did that, they they turned to worship Satan. Yet again, though, Jesus is victorious in the place of Israel. He doesn't succumb to the temptation, but rebukes Satan a second time by quoting Moses again out of Deuteronomy. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. This is Deuteronomy. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. See, the real temptation from Satan here is for Jesus to pursue what is already going to be his, but just in a wrong way. Jesus is being tempted much like David when he he already knew that he would be king and he had Saul under his blade. David won't take the throne by force. He is going to wait for God to give it to him. Jesus is the great son, the great king, who won't take something unless it's given to him by his father. All authority in heaven on earth are going to be his, but he is content to worship the father and wait on him to give that in due time. He will not worship another golden god to gain a counterfeit authority. Now, as Jesus resists this temptation, he's faced with one final test, perhaps the most peculiar of the three. It's here that Satan takes him to, the word is pinnacle, but the word word literally means little wing. He takes him to the little wing of the temple and and tempts him to throw himself down. And instead of using bread, and, and earthly authority to persuade Jesus, he cites God's word in Psalm 91. And he cites Yahweh's promise to protect his people within the temple. So what sa- Satan wants Jesus to test God's promises as the Son of God. If you'll remember, Israel did something similar in a place called Massa. They were thirsty, and they began to grumble against God over water, They wanted Yahweh to prove that he was trustworthy by providing water. If you do this, then we'll trust you. And Moses responded to them the way that Jesus responds to Satan here. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But here's something interesting. Satan cites Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 in his temptation. But there's another verse in the psalm that I find fascinating, given where Jesus is standing. Psalm 91 four. it reads this way. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So in light of this psalm, I think it might mean that we need to think of the pinnacle, the little wing as a site of protection, as the place where the Father's care is given to his people, where his people find care under his wings. With that in mind, I would submit to you that Satan is not only tempting Jesus to test God, but to leave God's wings of the temple, which symbolize his protective presence, on the assurance that God will protect him even if he abandons the temple and the people that it protects, the people in it, God's people. But Jesus is not going to leave his people. He is not going to abandon his bride Jesus doesn't succumb to the temptation. He trusts the Father and will not test him in order to find out if he's trustworthy either because he already knows that he is. The story of Jesus' temptation is not a story of defeat, it's a story of victory, of triumph. Satan leaves the desert having lost and he awaits a more opportune time to test Jesus again, which will be on the cross when his words are mimicked by the religious elite and the onlookers who say, why don't you come down off of the cross and save yourself? Jesus won't do that either. Jesus has won the first battle and so he already wins the war and we, his his bride, his body, we share in that victory as we follow Jesus who was led by the Spirit as we are led by the Spirit. Surely Jesus is our champion, defeating Satan without any of our help. And yet at the same time, he is also our example because he is showing us how to defeat Satan as well. We, brothers and sisters, We defeat Satan by living on the word that proceeds from the mouth of God, feeding on it with hunger that surpasses our hunger for bread. We defeat Satan by worshiping and serving God alone and no other. We defeat Satan by trusting God and not by testing him. When we do these things, when we pursue these things, Satan slinks away. Like I said at the very beginning, brothers and sisters, the Spirit will lead us into deserts of hunger and thirst, even when we're following Jesus faithfully. And it's, it's in those deserts where waiting on God, worshiping him and trusting him, will be where it is the most difficult. He'll lead us to places of testing where Satan tempts us to fall down and worship him where Satan tempts us to take our lives into our own hands, to to test God and say, well, if you're really God, you wouldn't let this happen. And in those moments, we may often feel that Jesus has led us into a trap, and we're tempted to look to someone else or something else to follow. Because perhaps, maybe because this is so difficult, maybe another master will do better for me or will do better for us. Perhaps another master will lead us to green pastures and still waters. Perhaps we can find another master who will give us all things but he won't burden us with a cross. But when God leads us into the wilderness, it it can seem like we have no good reason to serve him. But it's actually these very places where we are learning to wait on him where we are learning to worship him, where we are learning to trust him and where our hearts are truly revealed, what do we really want? Do we just want peace and comfort and ease or do we want him? Is Jesus all that will do in the dark valley? The reason that we can wait for him The reason that we can worship him, the reason that we can trust him is because when we are in the valley, he is the shepherd that is right by our side with us every step of the way. Just because he was tempted by the devil does not mean that he is done giving us strength and being with us to continue to fight against his enemy whether it's still waters or rapids, whether it's green pastures or a barren wasteland, he fought for us in his own wilderness. He will fight for us in ours. In his deepest need, he stayed on the cross so that in our deepest valleys, we would trust him no matter what. So, sojourn. Brothers and sisters, as we follow Jesus, as we live by the word that proceeds from his mouth, as we worship him alone and trust him, we too will trample Satan underfoot. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, we are, Lord, we are truly grateful for Lord, what you have done on our behalf, on behalf of Lord of all humanity. Lord, you have fought our greatest enemy and you have won. And you are winning. It is It is something that is done. It is something that is happening. It is something that will happen. And God, we want to be, Lord, in light light of what we see here, Lord, we want to be people who can wait for you, who can worship you, and who can trust you. That we would not be people, God, that you would guard us from the impatience of needing to take hold of something before you give it of needing to find another master so that we can get to where we really need to be. Or finding a way to test you so that we can find out if you're trustworthy. Lord, would you guard us from all of these temptations? But Lord, when they do come, or would you help us as a church, as a people, hold fast. To hold fast, to know that we, that we stand like Jesus in, underneath the wings and pinions of the Father. Truly kept and guarded. Lord, not guarded from every difficulty. But Lord, when we do find those difficulties again, remind us that you are with us. Lord, show that you're with us. We know that you are. Help us every step of the way. We pray, we ask it in your name, amen.